faster than expected. Abrupt climate change and the consequences for us and other living beings on our Earth. No one should be alone in the greatest challenge of our time. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. Here's your host, Wolfgang Werminghausen. What makes a biologist like Guy McPherson suppose that the climate change leads to the demise of the human species? One of the answers we will hear in this episode is Habitat, Habitat, Habitat. Guy McPherson is Professor Emeritus at the University of Arizona. He taught and conducted research for 20 award-winning years before leaving the university. He is the authority of abrupt climate change leading to near-term human extinction. Very few scientists in the world dare to talk about in public that the climate is just now in a radical, irreversible change that will affect all life on our planet. Guy McPherson, with his major fields conservation and evolutionary biology, is the only biologist I know who assumes that these changes lead to a mass extinction, even of the human species, within a very short period of time, within a few years. So in this episode we focus on biology for doomers. Guy, I'm full of joy to have, have a talk with you now. Let's talk about biology in this episode, your favorite subject. So I think this is fun and joy for you too. Yes, it is. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Wolfgang. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. This time we won't discuss about abrupt climate change in the first place. If our listeners like to have an introduction, please watch one of Guy's presentations. I highly recommend the one in Missouri. You just have to search in YouTube for Guy McPherson and Missouri Talk or read the overview article in Guy's blog Nature Bets Last. You'll find a link in the show notes of this episode. Guy, please introduce, introduce yourself as a biologist. How and why did you become a biologist and how is the mentality of a biologist? I was born and raised in small towns in northern Idaho, in the Pacific Northwest in the United States. The, the town I grew up in had only about 700 people. So it was a small town, and my parents were very, very interested in the outdoors. So we went hunting or fishing every day mm -hmm. that the weather permitted. So I was outdoors, and of course it was a different time than today. And parents were a lot less worried about what kind of trouble their children could get into. It was a lot less dangerous world than it is today. So we were outside playing as children all the time, even if there was two feet of snow on the ground, even if it's a warm, sunny summer day. We were outside pretty much all the time. And so my love of nature was instilled very early on in my life. And then... I pursued undergraduate and graduate degrees in fields that focused on the outdoors, forestry and range science. And along the way, I became increasingly attached to, appreciative of, or in love with the living planet, depending on how far you want to take this. But I, I really did come to love the living planet on which we depend for our very existence in 
ways that most people fail to understand. I came mm-hmm. to I came to an awareness about other species and our relation to them that profoundly affected my worldview from the time I was in my late teens onward. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking a lot about birth and death. And to understand that birth and death of individual living beings is the basis of life, it is not very difficult. Well, maybe it's not so easy to accept our own death. For you as an evolutionary biologist, this might be the same with speciation, how species come to existence and extinction, how they make room again. Let's go back in the Earth history to the beginning of uh, around 4.5 billion years ago. Would you please tell us a little about the coming and going of species on Earth? Yeah, you know, the planet is about 4.6 billion years old, and initially there was no life on Earth. Unicellular organisms, relatively simple organisms, arose through means that are not completely understood, um, in maybe about three billion years ago. It's really difficult to pin down the day at which the first species showed up or how that species came into existence. Mm. So, in any event, species did come into existence, and ultimately, as of about 200,000 years ago, our species came into being. So let's think about that for for a brief moment, if you will. There has been life on Earth for about 3 billion years. The universe has been in existence for nearly 14 billion years. Our species showed up about 200,000 years ago, descended from other species of humans, now all of which are extinct. We showed up about 200,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow many of us come to believe that the whole universe is arranged just for us. Seems rather ludicrous when you put it in that sort of perspective, doesn't it? Yes, of course. I I tried to, to compute it and... If uh, Earth is 4.5 billion years old and we put it in the time span of one day, Homo sapiens is only on Earth for 3.8 seconds, not more than four seconds. One, <laughs> two, three, four, and gone. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, so as all conservation biologists know, Species come into being, that's called speciation. Species disappear, that's called extinction. When the last individual of a species disappeared, that's called extinction. And then the the really important other component of conservation biology is habitat. Habitat, habitat, habitat. Where does an organism get what it needs to survive? Where does it get its food and its water and its ability to maintain its body temperature and so on? Where do those come from? So those are the three pillars on which conservation biology is founded, extinction, speciation, and habitat. Okay, let's come to your mantra, habitat, habitat, habitat. I saw in your presentations uh, you are talking more and more about habitat. This may be the most misunderstood argument for people who deal with climate change, and it's your unique position. Um, What are the elements of 
the uh, habitat of mammals and vertebrates, including humans? Well, that's, you know, that's the really important thing here that most people don't understand is that we're human animals. Yes. We, like, like the other animals on the planet, we depend upon certain things to keep us alive. We are so amazing, so clever with the things that we do that we put people into space and they live for a long time in the International Space Station. Or we, we stick them in nuclear submarines and they persist a long time just eating canned goods, that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that nuclear submarines under the ocean, that doesn't mean that the International Space Station, that doesn't mean Antarctica, McMurdo Station, doesn't mean any of those are habitat. Notice that all the people who live there must have their food brought to them. And all that food is produced elsewhere on Earth. Most notably, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the grains that we all have come to depend upon for this set of living arrangements that are grown almost exclusively in the interior of large continents in the northern hemisphere. Habitat is as important for humans as it is for grain, as it is for the other apes, the other monkeys, if you will, as it is for the anteater, as it is for the ant. We need food. We need water. We need the ability to maintain our body temperature. We provide that through shelter and clothing. Other species do it through the shelters they build themselves and by their ability to grow and get rid of their coats, their furry coats. And we do that with, with clothes that we buy and structures that we build. But we're really not that dissimilar from the other organisms on planet Earth, especially the, the ones we call animals, mm. like us. For a bi biologist, is uh, technology part of habitat for us, like clothes and, or industrial agriculture? Well, it, it, has be it has certainly become that way, hasn't yeah. it? Um, It was, you know, it, it was only a few thousand years ago that the first civilizations arose. Before that, humans, like other animals, did rely upon tools since about 2.8 million years ago when Homo erectus came into being. Homo erectus is sometimes referred to as the first tool-using human. Since that time, technology. They have killed animals and used the skins of those animals to stay warm or to stay dry. They have cut down trees or built homes out of snow or out of mud to provide shelter. Um, and, and so in some ways that makes us like other animals. Ants do similar things. They build these extensive galleries to provide mm -hmm. their own habitat. They use technology too. Yes. So do all the other great apes for that matter. And many other organisms use tools of various kinds. So, yes, technology is part of being human, just as it is for other animals. What we have done in our amazing cleverness is extended that technology to the realm of, quote, renewable energy to keep us warm or cool, to the arena of enormous structures, to the arena of fast transport of fossil fuels all around the globe, and so mm -hmm. on. So those are, those are different kinds of technologies than we're talking about with Homo erectus or with other non-human animals. Yes, and why is technology unsuitable to guarantee our survival? You know, I already mentioned a couple of examples, the International Space Station and nuclear uh, submarines in the ocean. 
the these these kinds of technology can allow us to persist for a while in certain locations that otherwise we would not be able to live. We humans just would not be able to live in space, obviously, without something like the International Space Station. But think about that for a minute. All the food for the International Space Station is grown on Earth. Mm-hmm. If we don't have a living planet to provide us with food, then by definition, we do not have the ability to support ourselves on Earth or off Earth. Well, you mentioned uh, growing grains is fundamental for our civilization. Um, how temperature sensitive is crop growing? Is one or two degree rise in global average a problem and is there a threshold where feeding the people is collapsing well we we don't know for certain although climate scientists have with their usual conservativeness proposed the idea that beyond two degrees celsius above the 1750 baseline we cannot grow grains at large scale. So think about this for a minute. We had humans on the planet, beginning with Homo erectus, for about 2.8 million years. We had our our species on the planet, Homo sapiens, for 190,000 years or so. And there was no such thing as civilization. And then, coming out of the last ice age, the temperature increased about 1.5 degrees Celsius above ice age, or 12 degrees Celsius global average temperature. And it stabilized. The global average temperature stabilized at 13.5 degrees Celsius, global average temperature. That was critical. Now, grains can be grown at large scale. Up until that point, there was no such thing as a civilization because there was no ability to store food. Then all of a sudden, a few thousand years ago, civilization started popping up as frequently as trolls on YouTube because of this relatively recent rise and stabilization of temperature. And I think that stabilization is key here. Mm-hmm. What will it take before we won't have civilization again? I think we're on the brink. I think that two degrees is the target that has been proposed because that's when civilization collapses. But that's not a reasonable target for human survival. We've already triggered many, many self-reinforcing feedback loops at, at one degree and less uh, above the 1750 baseline. So we don't know the point at which the inability to grow grains is complete, but I can guarantee we are very close to that time. Yes, and can be very fast. Maybe we can define a biologist as someone who studies life and loves life or loves nature, as you said. At the very least, biology is the study of life. Yes. So, and, and I think anybody who studies life for long enough comes to love life and recognize, recognizes that life is so rare and so marvelous that to not love it, to be indifferent to life, is, is verging on sociopathy, is verging on being a, a, a psychopath. I, I can't imagine anybody being able to study the living planet and not come to appreciate it in an overwhelming sense. Would you please say a few words about your love of life in the face of an ongoing mass extinction? You know, it's it's deeply personal for me, and I try to 
keep my professional work separate from my personal life. Mm-hmm. But this is the nexus. This is where it happens right here is my love for the living planet and my long-time career and and life, really, as a conservation biologist. Conservation biologist who studies speciation, extinction, and habitat, who studies the intricate connections between and among species. And that really is what underlies my love for the living planet and my love for other species. People tell me all the things like, people tell me frequently things like, yeah, but surely you don't like such and such a species, you know, like Mm -hmm. smallpox. Well, Mm -hmm. okay. I don't have to intimately love all species on earth to recognize that all species on earth came from a common origin and have a, as a result of that similar ancestry, have shared DNA that makes us all part of the same soup here, that makes us all part of one great miracle, if you will, certainly mystery about the existence of life on Earth, including human life with our big brains, our big eyes, our ability to see the world as it is and wonder how we came into being is, is one of the greater mysteries that I will carry with me to my final days. Oh, thank you. That's a good word to close our conversation. Thank you very much for your time and your your expertise as a biologist and scientist and a human being. Thank, thank you, you, sir. I really appreciate every, every opportunity to chat with you. I, I very much do. So thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Faster than expected. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. If you like my podcast, please write a comment and give me a like on SoundCloud. You'll find a link and more information on my website xwer.de slash podcast. Take care.